0: Well, good morning, one. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? It is so so good to see you today. Uh, it doesn't feel like spring, but I promise you, it is. And uh, hey, um, if you're here for the first time, we are so glad that you worship with us today. And, and we always say this: I hope that we hope that you encounter God through today's worship. We hope that you encounter what it's like to be part of a of a church, whether you're here for temporary purposes some people pass through on the way to wherever they're going wherever you are we feel strongly about being connected to the body of christ i know that god reveals himself through his church but god also works through your life as you're connected to the church it's not just about showing up and getting fed spiritually and learning a few things when you connect to the body of christ you connect to other believers and god fulfills his purpose in your life by being connected through other people i mean you get better you get better by being connected to other people. Now, I've gotten worse by... You ever been, have you ever gotten worse by being connected to a few people? That's, hopefully you don't experience that here. You might see some people walking around during church with a group of uh, one of our leaders. And what's going on is we got growth track going on. That's why we talk about growth track. Growth track is kind of the introduction to getting connected to Faith Code Church. The reason we do that is isn't that we want to put you through a bunch of tests. We just want you to understand what you're being connected to. And it's, it's also an avenue by which you can get connected. But you might see some, of, some people walking around and, and with uh, Payton or Baylor. And what they're doing is we're giving people a behind-the-scenes look at what happens on a Sunday morning. It takes about, I'd say, between 60 and 80 people to pull off a weekend worship. I don't know if you knew that but uh, if you count all the people that's a part of the host team if you count all the people that are working in our nurseries in our kids ministry the praise and worship team alone is about 30 people so it takes a lot of people to pull off a weekend so we we decided to, that we would show people that during the last weekend of growth track growth track happens about every month but the last weekend of growth track we walk people new people around that's thinking about being connected to our church and we show them i was just back here in the green room for the band and they walked him in and they introduced him to the band then they take him to the production team they take him into the coffee bar and and back into the kitchen and show him different parts of there because we want to want you to know that there are people serving all over this house and what makes the body of this body so awesome are the people that serve that's that's why we want you to get connected it's not just because we need more dream people or we call our volunteers dream people it's not because of that but we believe that God is going to exponentially bless your life by being connected to his church. So we don't feel like it's a, a struggle. We don't feel like it's taxing to serve. We think it's a privilege to serve at Faith Code Church. So hopefully, I just wanted to show you that, tell you that, that we've got some people walking around behind the scenes. If you see groups of people randomly walking around, there's a purpose behind it. We're continuing a series today called I Am. Talking a bit about the identity of Christ. You know, at some point, we all have to come to grips with who Jesus is. That's that's the idea of this message. Who is Jesus to me? Who is it to you? What is your answer to that question? We all have to come to grips with that. In John, the first chapter in the 19th verse, this is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jewish leaders sent priests, temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the old old prophet Isaiah. He said, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. And then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He was about to baptize him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I don't know if you know the story of John the Baptist, but he was a very bold person. He was a very bold preacher. God did some incredible things in his life. But I think that the reason that he was so bold was because he had a clear understanding of who Jesus was. I like his first response. When they say, John, who are you? He said, well, I am not the Messiah. Sometimes knowing who you are not is just as important as knowing who you are. Because if you don't, who know, who you, if you don't know who you are not, you may have some kind of an, of an identity crisis in your life. If you don't know who you're not, you don't know who you are and you have identity issues. John had an uncommon sense of mission. He had an unusual task. But he had a clear understanding of who Jesus was. Jesus spoke of John later on. He said, when you went out to see John the Baptist, who did you go see? Did you go see a Pharisee? Did you go see a priest? Did you go see a scribe? No, you didn't go see a guy like that. You went to see a wild man. He lived in the wilderness. Then he goes on to say of John. If there was everybody born in the entire world, of all the people that have ever been born, nobody was ever like John the Baptist. That's what he said about John. Jesus said those words. John the Baptist's boldness would take him before kings. Would have him speak out against nations. And it would cost him his life one of these days. But when you looked at John the Baptist, there was no... And when you talk to him, there was no confusion about who he was. He had a clear sense of who he was. And I believe he had a clear sense about who he was because he knew Jesus was. You see, knowing who Jesus is gives clarity to who you are. When Jesus says, I am, we understand the identity of Christ. And what we're talking about today and over the next couple of weeks is his identity, not from what other people say about him, but from the words of Jesus himself. I am. Remember, our decision of the identity of Christ determines our present and our future lives and will ultimately affect our eternal destination. It's important that we solidify, just like John the Baptist knew who he was, it's important that we solidify who Jesus the Christ is in our lives. Amen? Let's begin today with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Will you reveal your heart to us today? You don't reveal your heart in pieces. You long to reveal not only your plan, but yourself. You intend to reveal your heart to us. I pray that you will speak to us today. Help us to open up our hearts and minds to receive what you would say to us in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Look at your neighbor and say, who are you? You need to know that because you get to know that as you get to know Christ. I want to talk to you today about the phrase that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? I've heard that term for years, but as I dove into that this past week, man, there is a wealth of material and there is a wealth of wisdom. And it goes very, very deep into the meaning of this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read and I'm going to jump around a little bit. When I say jump around, I mean jump around in Scripture. I'm not going to jump around here anymore. But when I say I'm going, to, I'm going to jump around in Scripture a little bit, I'm going to paraphrase because there's a lot of reading. I don't want to read all that. But I want to read some things to you. Then I want to come back and tell you what I believe he was saying to us by saying that he is the bread of life. Now, we're in the middle of a story in John 6 and 22, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Gospel of John 6 and 22, we're in the middle of a story. What happened was... Jesus had just fed the 5,000, and then he had disappeared for a little while. He went up into the mountains, and he crossed the lake, and then this is the conversation that he had. This was the next day after Jesus fed the 5,000. It says, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized that Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, try to try to grasp what this was like. Thousands of people. So when they saw that the disciples weren't there and Jesus wasn't there, sorry, I went to the very last page. I'm used to preaching from an iPad, but it crashed. I just went to the very, very last page. So that's why I had to scroll up. Where were we? Somebody say the last word where we were. Okay. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum. All these people saw that Jesus wasn't there, got in boats and went to the other side. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus didn't answer that question. He immediately went to the situation that was going on. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life and the son of man, that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, This is the only work. Now, remember, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. we, We are saved because of our faith in Jesus. But he says, this is the work that I want you to do. This is the work God wants from you. Believe in the one who has sent. That is the only work of faith by which we are saved. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna. He's talking about way back in the wilderness where Moses fed them manna. He says our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, i tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you anything. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread from God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, and say it with me, the next five words, I am the bread of life. One, one more time. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Now, Remember, he's talking in his spiritual sense. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, but you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. Go down to the 41st verse. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread of life that that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this the son of Joseph? Isn't Isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph? we know his father we know his mother how can he say i came down from heaven skip down to the 47th verse he says i tell you the truth anyone who believes has eternal anyone who believes has eternal life yes i am the bread of life your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness but they all died anyone who eats the bread from heaven however will never die i am the living bread that came down from heaven anyone who eats this bread will live forever And this bread which I offer so the world may live, wait for it, wait for it, is my flesh. Then the people began to argue, or they began arguing with each other about what this meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, if they didn't get it the first time, he made it very clear. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. The other translation, the English Standard Version says, Jesus says these words, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part in me. That's a kind of controversial statement. Would you agree with that? I mean, if... If, if they had one problem believing in Jesus, they definitely had a problem now because he's, now he's talking about cannibalism. But he goes on to explain, I don't have time to read it, but he goes on to explain, hey, these are spiritual things I'm talking to you about. The reason that you don't understand this is because the Spirit's not in, in you because you're not believing in who I am. You want something from me, but you're missing the point. You're after the miracles, you're after the provision, but you're not about the person. So here's what I'm trying to say. The things that you're seeking from me, you're not going to get them because I'm not going to give them to you because you don't understand who I am. Last week I was looking over the prayer request. If you see in the backs of your chairs there's a white card and we talk about these cards every single Sunday. They're how people communicate with us and every single week we get a list of prayer requests, sometimes a half a dozen, sometimes as many as 20 or 25. It just depends on what's going on. And every Monday morning, we start off that meeting with talking about, and we name all these, we read all of them, and we try to figure out whether or not we know them, what is our association. We try to make it as personal as we can, and we pray over them, and and, I, you know, it just it's, it's hard for me to just read through things and not wonder what's going on in, in people's lives. And then we pass those on to, we have an intercessory prayer team that comes down here on Wednesday nights. And actually, they start on, on Sunday, and, and uh, they, they, they write these requests, and they send out emails and let the prayer team know, hey, we're going to pray for these people. And you might get a letter from our prayer team saying that, hey, we prayed for you, and here's some scripture that brings hope. And it's an incredible process. But to think that somebody would sit down and write out something that's going on in their lives and you can't believe some of the prayer requests that I've seen over the last 20 years. Hey, will you pray for my spouse? Will you pray for my family? We don't know if we're gonna stay together. Hey, will you pray for my father? Will you pray for my mother if they have cancer, and if God does not heal them, I don't know if they're going to make it. Hey, will you pray for my child? They're, they have a tumor, and it's, it's so heartbreaking. It can be so overwhelming, the, the needs of humanity and all the hurting and all the depression and all the things that happen in people's lives, and, and I pray for people. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know the outcome. I pray, and I believe, and I confess the Word of God and that's we do the very best that we can do, but honestly, we don't have power over the outcome because that's up to God. We pray according to his will, and we pray in Jesus' name, and we do everything the scripture says, but it's up to God in order for these things to take place. But can you for, se- for just a second imagine what it would be like to be Jesus? I mean, imagine that for a second in your life, what it would be like if you could perform miracles I mean what would it be like in your life if if healing was not a matter of if if people knew that that getting near you they could be healed that for Jesus it was not a matter of if it wasn't not it wasn't up in the air it wasn't a, a deal where where you know we may or we may not be healed all you had to do is get in front of Jesus all you got had to do is, is just make eye contact with him, and if he could acknowledge you in some way, if he could touch you, you were made whole. What if it was like all you could, It wasn't just that. If he said you were made whole, if you were in another county, if he said you were made whole, all you had to do is make sure you encountered Jesus. What if your life was like that, if you had that kind of power? What if you were like Jesus, and sometimes in his life, the healing power would flow from his body, that people were healed at the speed of touch, that it wasn't a matter of some days when he was walking through cities, it wasn't a matter of whether or not he had to acknowledge you or he prayed for you, they just had to brush The hem of his garment, they just had to touch him. When people touched him, they were made whole. Imagine what it would be like if you were like that person. What would it be like if people knew that all they had to do was touch you? All they had to do was encounter you. And every time that you came to town, everybody would be where you were. What if you were like that and you just walked through Bricktown or you walked through Shawnee? Every person in the city that was sick... Every person that was lame, every person that had a disease, every person that was oppressed, all they had to do was encounter you. What would your life be like? If you can answer that question, that's what it was like in the life of Jesus every single day, every day of his life. And when we read this story about John, and John, the sixth chapter, was just another day in the life of Jesus where all these people come out to visit him and he would teach on the side of a mountain and then it was late, and he had compassion on them because they needed to go home, but they were hungry. So he miraculously fed 5,000. The Bible says 5,000 men. They had families, So scholars actually believe that he fed close to 20,000 people that day, about as many people as you can put it in the Chesapeake Center. That's how many people he fed that day. And then John, the sixth chapter and the 14th verse says that when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, he can feed people by turning just a few scraps into massive amounts of food. This sounds like a king to us. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. This happened more than once. Hey, they're going to make me king. This is not why I came to this earth. He slipped away when nobody was looking. He sent the disciples across the water, across the sea. I'll be there tomorrow. He goes up into the hills to spend some time with his father to get away from everybody because people, if you read the scripture, people would try to touch him. They would have to make a human shield around him when he walked through cities. So he would go up and sneak away to be alone, to spend time with his father. And then at nighttime, as they were crossing the sea, Jesus decides he's going to meet them on the other side. I mean, think about what it would be like to be Jesus. He's not going to take a boat. He's going to walk across the sea, and that's what he does. He doesn't do this in front of everybody. Man, if I could walk on water, I would be displaying that. I'd be moonwalking across the water. You know what I'm saying? Check this out. But you can't do this. But Jesus, in the middle of the night, is going to walk across the water. He looks at the disciples. They're in a storm. They're afraid they're going to die. He gets in, calms the sea, goes to the other side. The next day, this is when this story takes place. The very next day, he is confronted by thousands of people that are missing the point. You see, people were following him because of his miracles, because of the things that he could do. And Jesus uses their desire for bread. What they really wanted there was what was happening in the Old Testament. Give us manna from heaven. Give us this bread every single day. Jesus uses their desire for bread and daily proportions of sustenance to illustrate who he was. And he tells them, I am the bread of life. I want to talk to you about just two things that I believe that Jesus was saying to us. Number one, Jesus was saying, believe in me. Believe in me. John six and thirty, it says they answered, "Show us a miraculous sign, if you want us to believe in you. What can you do?" These were the same people that saw him perform this miracle of feeding the five thousand just the day before. The point of miracles was to point to Christ. It wasn't that people would have ooh and ah moments. God, God did not perform miracles through Christ. Jesus didn't perform miracles to impress people. It was to remind people that this is prophecy being fulfilled. Now, I've heard people say before, the Bible is just filled with miracles. I wish, that there were, I, w- I wish that we lived in the Old Testament days where, you know, there was just a God of miracles and the God of the Old Testament. That's who I wish we served. Listen, you don't want to serve the God of the Old Testament. He was a little more harsh. There was immediate death penalty for sin back in those days. You want to live under grace. You want to live in the, in the, in the time of forgiveness. But I've heard people talk about how the Old Testament is filled with miracles. I want to bring just a little bit of perspective to this. First of all, the Old Testament spans 4,000 years. And if you look up how many miracles are in the Old Testament, there's just under 100 miracles in the Old Testament. So if you broke that down and did the math, it would be a miracle about every 50 years. So really it's not just a massive amount of miracles over the last or over that span of four thousand years. Second of all, it wasn't just it wasn't worked out in an average. Okay, fifty years another miracle, fifty years another miracle. It was like silence. Not a lot going on. Not a lot going on. And then God steps in time and does miracles. For example, the Israelites were in Egyptian slavery for about four hundred years. That was a year. That was four centuries of silence. Not a lot going on. And then God steps in and God works many miracles through Moses. And then there wasn't a lot of miracles. And then there was Elijah and then Elisha. So it was like packed into a few centuries and a few decades. But it wasn't just several miracles over 4,000 years. It sounds like a little bit what happens in our day and age. That it's not a whole lot like, like we think except for when Jesus came. When Jesus came, it was like every day, all day, every single day, Jesus was working miracles. John says that we will not be able to put into writing all the things that Jesus did. They did their best, you know, with, with parchments and animal skins and ink and trying to write. You know, we, we look at the Bible kind of like, you know, it's like we would write it today with computers. No, they had like pieces of paper. Animal skin and parchments. They did the best they can to write all these things down. But Jesus was performing miracles every day, all day long for three and a half years. And the whole point wasn't to impress people. The whole point was that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. And the world would look to Jesus as the Messiah. You see, what we see in Scripture Even with all of these miracles, what we see in scripture is that no matter what Jesus did, people would still not believe, and then they would ask for more. That's what we find over and over, that that Jesus would perform all of these miracles, and then people would show up the next day. It was kind of like it didn't matter what he did. People would show up, and they wouldn't believe, and then they would ask for more. That sounds a little bit like me today. That no matter what Jesus has done in my life, a little time goes by. I begin to doubt, and then I begin to ask for more. Does anybody else in the house do that except for me? And just, is it just me? Maybe Adam. Adam does that. I can see the, by the look on his face, he does that. Mostly Adam and me. That no matter what God does, as time passes, we begin to doubt, and then we begin to ask for more. Matthew 16, a group of religious leaders come up to Jesus and they demand a sign. Prove, prove, prove who you are, who you say that you are. Do something, perform a miracle so we can believe in you. And Jesus said this, an evil and an adulterous generation looks for a sign and you're not going to get one. Jesus never performed a miracle on demand. In other words, hey, if you will do what I believe for you to do, if you will do what I ask you to do, then I'm going to believe in you. It didn't work then, and it doesn't work now. It's, it's like this. If he were here, he would say, if you believe in me, then I'm going to do what you ask. It begins with faith. For Mark 11 and 22 says, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you. Whoever says to this mountain, he's talking in a spiritual sense, be taken taken up and be thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I believe some of us today are waiting for God to move in our lives. We're waiting for him to take the first step. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I will believe... In Jesus, if he will just prove himself, I will live for him. I will cross that line, and I will serve him if he will just take a step towards me. I want to tell you something. He has already taken a step. He took a step 2,000 years ago when he stepped out of heaven, stepped into this earth, lived here, died here, gave his life so we could be saved. Now, the ball is in your court. Are you with me? That we must take a step to believe. So I believe when he said, I am the bread of life, the first thing he was saying was, believe in me. The second thing that he was saying is, pursue me. And in other words, his identity, when you really pursue and you find out his identity will change your life. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. People are hungry, and people are thirsty. Look at your neighbor and say, you're thirsty. People are hungry and people are thirsty. I believe what Jesus was experiencing was people are more interested in what he can do and what he can provide more than they're interested in who he is. Man, I think that that is a breakdown that we all have, that we're more interested in his provision than interested in the person. We're more interested in what he can give us than what he has already given us and who he is. People are thirsty. He would say, if you believe in me, you will never be hungry and you'll never be thirsty again. When they approached him and said, hey, give us this bread, he probably said, I gave you bread yesterday, but you're hungry again. Why? Because you're wanting, what you're wanting from me is only a temporary fix. I believe he was always trying to get people to think about the eternal rather than the temporal What we ask and what we're asking from God in our prayer, even healing is temporary because we eventually all pass from this life. Money perishes. Money, we give it away when we die. Food, water, it's only for today. The reason that you're hungry, the reason that you're thirsty is because you're worried and you're concerned about the things that get you through today. And I know that we, we got to take care of those things. I know that we need food. I know that we need the things and we need jobs. and We need all of those things. But that should not be the pursuit of our lives. And people were pursuing Jesus in those days because they were concerned about the temple. And Jesus was saying, if you really understand who I am, if you really believe in me, I'm going to take care of your eternal issues. Pursue who I am, not just what I can do. In Matthew 6 and 31... He says therefore don't be anxious. Don't be worried, one translation says. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Do we need those things? We absolutely need those things. But we don't we shouldn't just pursue the Lord just so we can get those things. He says for the gentiles seek after these things. Or the non-believer seeks after these things and your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I believe what he's addressing here in his words is in the area of our priorities. It's not that we must forget about those things. It's just that we shouldn't seek first those things, and a lot of times we seek God Because he helps us receive the temporal things. And Jesus, as he was saying back then, I believe he would say it today, is that, hey, I got you on those things, but don't pursue me about those things. Pursue pursue me for who I am. And as you pursue me for who I am, as a benefit, I will place those things into your life. Are you with me? I want to close with this. When Jesus said that I am the bread of life, He said, believe in me. When he says, I am the bread of life, I believe he was saying, pursue me. I am what you're looking for. That's hard for us to imagine. Jesus is who I'm looking for. No, there there, there are things that I need more than Jesus. No, there's not. Because all of these things that, that you're pursuing in life and I'm pursuing in life, all of these things are found in Jesus. These things that you're hungry for, that you have a hunger for in life, these things that you're thirsty for, they're found and the identity of Christ. And as you pursue him, he puts all of these areas in place. What you're asking of Jesus, what you're praying for, it's to get you through today. It's to get you through the next week. Maybe it's to get you through the next few years. But when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying you need to think long term. You need to think beyond this week. You need to think beyond the next 30 days. Stop worrying about those things. Stop worrying about all those things that's, that you're worried about today. You don't have to worry about those things. Stop pursuing me about those things and pursue me about the eternal matters. And all of these other things will fall in place. Life has a way of being distracting, doesn't it? I mean, this week, you're going to go through an entire week of working, dealing with your kids, dealing with your spouse, dealing with your boss, and all these things pull at you, and they distract you. So if you're not careful, you start praying for specific things that, that actually distract you of, of taking your eyes off of our Lord Jesus. And I'm telling you, when he says, I'm the bread of life, you focus your life on Jesus You don't have to worry about all of these other things. And I know that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because of all the things that we deal with in a day. But I guarantee you, if you focus on the Lord, if you focus on His Word, if you spend time with Him, and I'm not telling you to ignore all the other things, I'm just telling you don't worry about it. Stop being anxious over these things. Stop running around in circles, wondering how it's going to be taking place. Focus your minds and your thoughts on the Lord and see if he will not help you set your life in order. Amen? Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. I thank you for speaking to us in your word about the things that are going on. And I pray, Lord, that you will minister in your house that you will speak to every person every life, wherever we are, whatever we struggle with but most of all may we realize that you are our source that you've come that we might have life and the very thing that you have given us might distract us from you but I pray Lord that we reconcile our thoughts and our minds we reconcile our works to you realize exactly what it means that you are the bread of life. Speak to people today wherever we are in Jesus' name. As your heads are bowed, maybe God's speaking to you right now. You could say, Travis, I live for the Lord. He's Lord and Savior of my life, but man, that's what it feels like. My life is running in... I feel like in my life I'm running in circles. I feel like I'm getting distracted from what God has called me to do. It's affecting my life. It's affecting my home. It's affecting my spouse. It's affecting my kids. It's affecting my job. Have you thought about the words that you pray? What are you praying for on a daily basis? Are you praying for provision? Or are you praying to know your Lord? The more you focus in on knowing Christ, the more you begin to realize that who he is is everything that you need. And he will provide and he cares about you and he cares about your life. And he cares about your family. And as you begin to understand this and live this, he begins to help us work out the other areas in our lives. If that's you and God is speaking to you today, I want to pray with you right now. If you're seated next to somebody that, that you love or somebody that you're close to, you might take that person by the hand. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person that's here. I pray for every family, every individual. Lord, you know what's going on in our lives. You know what our struggle is. You know what we wrestle with. You know the things that take our thoughts and our minds off of you. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to eliminate distractions. May we not get so busy, not get so wrapped up in our lives that we take our eyes off of you. You are our source. You are the bread of life. Bring us back today. Help us to renew our focus and our minds on you. In the name of Jesus, if you receive that, say amen. As you continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer, as we always do. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. He's not Lord and Savior of your life. For whatever reason, you can say, Travis, I I have never surrendered my life to the Lord. I have never said, Jesus, come and be Lord and Savior of my life. Or maybe you can say, Travis, I walked away from God years ago, and today I would like to return. You know the condition that your heart is in. You know whether or not you live for God. Whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to know that you belong to God. And I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Listen, I won't ask you to come down here. I won't ask you to stand. We don't do anything like that. The kind of prayer that we just prayed, we're going to pray it again. But I need to know if I'm praying for people. Just for my sake, if you can say, Travis, if you will pray that prayer. For people to come home to Christ. For me to surrender my life to Christ. If you'll pray it, I'm going to pray it with you. Real quickly, just slip your hand up and slip it down so I know I'm praying for people. Can anybody say that? Just real quickly, let me know that you're serious about it. I just want to know. I'll ask one more time, then we're going to move on. I just want to know if there's anybody here. Maybe there's not, maybe there is. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. And I hope we all live for you and serve you. If not, may we come to a place where our lives are surrendered to you. Father, I pray that Faith Code Church continues to be a soul-winning church and bring people here. Bring us the hurting. Bring us the lonely. Father, bring us the people that you want to bring home. And Father, I pray that we will realize today more than ever that you are the bread of life. In the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen.